0: Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, the podcast brought to you by Citico, the city centre management company for Manchester. We're on to week four, episode four of the new series, Life After COVID. And this week, we're looking at restaurants. So we're bringing back two guests that have been here before, Ruth Allen of Manchester Wire and Tom Hetherington, both very well known for their views on restaurants. I hope you enjoy. If you have any comments, please get in touch at CottonmouthMCR on Twitter, or you can email us at podcasts at cityco.com. So we're joined by our recurring guests, Ruth Allen and Tom Hetherington. Uh, it is entertaining, sort of the 14 or 15 reviews that we've had over the 60-odd episodes. A couple have specifically said you should have more Ruth and Tom. Um, yeah. And I don't know whether they were one from Ruth and one from Tom, or from very close <laughs> friends, or whoever that could be. Um, but it's undoubtedly true. Um, so to continue what we've been talking about for the last three episodes, really, we want to look at restaurants and hospitality, what's changed during lockdown, um, what What of are, what are those changes will be maintained going forward? Um, Ruth, how do you feel the restaurant sector has got through? What have they had to change? What have they had to develop over the last 12 months? Um, and what's particularly stood out to you as maybe surprising or, or interesting in, in the way restaurants have coped? Yeah, well, I
1: mean, I think they've all coped. Just as they can, really, because it's been such a ridiculously challenging situation um, that pretty much everyone in every industry has been kind of what you might call fudging it, you know, and going, right, shall we try this? Shall we try that? So the first thing I think most of them have tried to do is to diversify, you know, to bring in things like um, cooking your at home, you know, your restaurant meals at home. Um, to specialise in more niche products like loaded croissants, like specific treat boxes for TV shows, which is one thing that um, a baker arm or a local person's been doing.
0: So to work into give us an example of that. That was so. So what have they been doing for particular TV <laughs> so, shows?
1: So for example, so she's been. So what some kind of small businesses have been doing is going very niche so she created treat boxes that you were able to eat along with the great british bake-off final oh. i just thought this was like such an inventive wonderful thing it completely sold out for her um and that's just an example of the kind of levels of invention that people have been going through just to try and hit the same something like a copable uh, revenue stream i think so we're looking at diversification, um, more delivery, more pickups, you know, restaurant um, like bakery, like Pollen is seeing huge queues out the door of people coming to collect their stuff. And it seems to be like a boom in business for them. Um, we've also seen a lot of businesses uh, go from, say, being a local place to doing national delivery. So um De Hawksmoor, um, almost famous at home, you know, these have all gone from being places that you would go to that might actually be quite hard to get into to offering nationwide delivery. Again, I don't think they're hitting anything like their usual revenue, but, but they're, these are new channels for these restaurants that seem to be quite successful. Um, having said that, I think some of them haven't managed to survive. Um And others, kind of particularly small providers of things that you could order into your home, like places that just do ground coffee, places that do bread, places that are, you know, supermarket-like. They're all flourishing. So there's been many different responses across the different areas of the hospitality industry, I think.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that's been interesting over the, what's it, 12, 13 months that we've been going, is is you suddenly see a a bit of national press around this restaurant is doing an at-home box or an at-home project and suddenly about four weeks later you suddenly find another 20 restaurants in your locality is, are suddenly starting to do it not having come up with that idea themselves and then trying to have to work through many of the same problems It's it's been a lot about problem solving all the way along hasn't it
1: yeah and it must be difficult for them to think you know is it worth us going through this problem solving process how much are we actually going to make from it a lot of it is just keeping their name out there I think um, until they can survive to the other side But quite a few that I've spoken to have said that they're going to continue, like Hawksmoor and Almost Famous are definitely going to keep doing their at-home nationwide deliveries.
0: Tom, what stood out to you in the the way that restaurants have had to adapt?
2: Well, it's... um... It's an interesting question. It's a complicated question, but I, I think Ruth summed it up quite nicely at the start there by by saying it's a, been a fudge, really, for for everyone. And that sounds almost um, as if it could be dismissive, but it's not. It's just saying that these are fundamentally really entrepreneurial, creative companies, and they've they've just all had to do whatever it takes to survive. They've all had to find a way. They've all taken slightly different approaches. Um, and I have to say, I, I'm... Hugely impressed by the the resilience um, of the the operators, particularly in Manchester. You you've seen the the independent operators who you might have thought on paper were going to be most vulnerable, have actually been the most kind of fleet of foot, the most agile. They they've hung on in there brilliantly, and um, I think if you look at the numbers from kind of UK hospitality. Not putting a gloss on this, every business lost is, you know, someone's dream and someone's jobs. But the the numbers of closures have actually been much fewer than maybe we we would have all feared. Um, and a lot of those have been down to the big boys closing sites quite ruthlessly. The the Mancunian indies, I I think, are in surprisingly fine fettle, and if you talk to them, they're bruised and they're battered, but they're they're actually quite fired up for whatever the next six to twelve months might bring. Going back to, to Ruth's points, yeah, obviously, the, the, the big thing has been this diversification of um, of models. People have taken lots and lots of different uh, approaches to that. Delivery and the cook at home boxes have been fantastic. I must admit, I've enjoyed those more than I ever thought I, I would. Not normally my sort of thing, but I've, I've got quite hooked on them. Um, I do think that, that there are some structural changes. Um, you look at people like Gary Usher, at Elite Bistros who is now off the back of the, the pandemic. He's taken a big unit and he is permanently going to be doing boxes and also doing event catering now it's given him the the kind of uh, the logistics and the scale to actually move into catering events so some of these changes are going to get hardwired in but a word of caution and i think in a way it's it's positive caution there are quite a few people on twitter who are already saying since alfresco fresco reopening has occurred a lot of the orders are starting to drop away because, despite all our fears that you know we were living in some you know completely changed society, it's almost like some kind of uh, you know lawnmower man futuristic dystopian thing. The fact is that when restaurants are open, when you can go and get served by really nice people with great hospitality and eat food and drink, and someone else does the cooking and the washing up. People go back in droves, um, and I expect to see this happen still further. Actually, when we get full reopening, fingers crossed, uh, not too far away. I think people will rediscover the fundamental joy of hospitality.
0: I wonder if there's going to be a uh, a happy medium that's going to be reached, because certainly what we're seeing in the first couple of weeks as retail was that was a huge boost which presumably just isn't going to be sustainable and we're probably going to see that with restaurants as well of everybody going out but but actually with you know i I can think of a you know a valentine's day or a mother's day or whatever where you can't get in anywhere actually if people are then producing the at home boxes that's just another revenue stream that they're going to be able to produce at relatively low cost
2: I think the thing for, for me that has been um, life changing, obviously, as, a, as anyone who follows me on social media may know, I live out in Glossop. I'm in, in the Peak District, uh, in the middle of nowhere. And the idea that I can I can just get boxes delivered from wherever I want in Manchester or you know in London or in Birmingham or wherever it might be is a bit of a revelation, actually. We've had an absolute field day. Getting Hawksmoor delivered to your door in Glossop and being able to knock it up in your kitchen quite easily is just a great thing. We're not going to stop doing that, but um, personally, I'm certainly enjoying being out and about again. Ruth?
1: Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to add that for me, I've enjoyed those boxes. But what I've enjoyed even more, I think, is getting is is kind of branching out into ordering food from niche suppliers that I would never have bothered to order from before, like tiny cheesemakers in Devon, the Courtyard Dairy. Um coffee makers all around the region it's just been really exciting for me and it's given me the boost and the kind of reason to order from smaller places that i wouldn't have otherwise you know taken the time to research and find out about i just i really i hope that that really continues as well because quite a few of them have doubled their staff and have done really well off the back of this so i hope that that trend for nationwide ordering of kind of niche products continues do do
0: you think Ruth, that somebody, I don't know, some sort of journalist possibly, um, will, as we come out of this, bring together uh, an index, some of those that are continuing to deliver like that? Because actually, unless you're in the trade, it's quite a lot of work if you're continuing to, you know, both family have two jobs, whatever it is, to do all the research where you actually may want to discover this stuff.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking that it would be absolutely amazing if there was a platform where, you know, a bit like how Cloudwater has brought together loads of independent brewers and are selling them through their kind of portal. It would be great if there was a portal for independent suppliers like this who could all sign up. I think that Eat Manchester do something a bit like this, but it would be really good to have a nationwide one where it's got a kind of list and you can just pick Put it all in your basket and order and i think that would support a lot of different um small businesses really well Tom, you, you might know if that exists it probably <laughs> does <laughs> well in, in, in
2: manchester the the obvious one is um eat well manchester that yeah, um that's you know, what I
1: quite
2: a, yeah quite a few great people behind it, including mary ellen at uh, ornbury and uh, the guys at cloudwater as well and that's a that's a fantastic marketplace for small producers artisan producers and also operators doing kind of meal boxes and, and meal kits as well and uh it centralises it. It means that you can just make one order and kind of get everything uh, coming through. So, I would like to think that that is going to sustain and, and even gain momentum. The, the response has been so fantastic, and I think once you've got that habit, people aren't aren't going to be willing to give that up. It's a, as as Ruth says, it's a it's a fantastic thing. Do Do you think, Tom? I mean, when
0: you know the pressure comes back and the people are opening their restaurants and they've got the pressure of hopefully full restaurants and and all those covers and so on. Um, do you think that some of the things that they've they've developed over the past year are just necessarily just gonna fall by the wayside? Unless you're yeah. of a very particular, you know, Andrew Nutter type entrepreneurial spirit that is constantly looking at the new things and developing the new things?
2: I, I think um uh you know these things become quite self-selecting for people who are making more money from running the kitchen and running the live service that's going to take precedence Uh, for people who maybe saw real scale or they see real potential in continuing with meal kits or deliveries or whatever it might be they're probably going to have to look at bringing in new costs associated with that whether it's additional premises whether it's additional staff or or kit or whatever it might be because you can't run a busy restaurant and, and kind of do the whole meal delivery kit thing as well it's it's really difficult so you have to decide whether you're you're going to cut it or whether you're going to invest in it. But to be honest, um, I wouldn't say that's an age old problem. But it's certainly the problem yeah. that people have been wrestling with with Deliveroo and other delivery platforms over the last year or two. Anyway, um, you don't want to end up in a, a position where serving the delivery audience is actually kind of damaging the the experience that diners are having in your venue
0: yeah I, I think in on previous podcasts with the with the three of us we've talked talked a bit particularly with some of the ancoats establishments of you know deliberately setting up outside of the city centre to pay lower Absolutely. rent but relying on that delivery money that comes through so that idea of having the black box kitchen or whatever is not new, but they've probably proved that case once again yeah um I notice in our local village in in Yorkshire there is now a service called delivery um, which hasn't yet been sued, which which pro- proclaims that it will deliver to anywhere that Deliveroo won't. Um, I think sooner or later, some IP lawyers are going to be coming along and having word with them, but um, they seem to be doing quite successfully at the moment. And they use well, motorbikes it- rather, than, rather than cycles so that they can still get your, your food to you in 20 minutes from places that... Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that at different ends, you know, Just Eat and, and those sort of services have put a huge amount of, of marketing spend uh, into campaigns over, over the last few weeks. And at the other end, you know, the Northcuts or whatever obviously have done a huge amount of press and, and marketing around what they're able to do as your Michelin star in a box.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's gonna be um an interesting landscape. And uh, you know, after a very, very strange and immensely challenging last twelve months, I I think we're in for another six, 12 months of recovery, but just of, of churn, you know, of shifting sands. And um I am a natural optimist. I don't think anyone runs their own business if they're not inherently optimistic, but I think this is a good time for the little guys. I think the little guys who who can move fast and who can innovate and back themselves, I think this is gonna be a good time for them. I really do.
0: So Ruth, you talked about um, small producers, Um, if we looked out sort of 12 months, 24 months down the line, you know, what are the one or two services that you've seen or or picked up um, over the last 12 months that you really want to see continue?
1: I think for me, it's probably, yeah, the at-home boxes. It just makes life really easy and really enjoyable. And you're able to experience the excellent cooking of, say, um, I think his name is Akhtar Islam. Tom's definitely oh, yeah. in this box as Interesting. well. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, um, been... yeah michelin star chef in, in uh, Birmingham. And also someone like um, Stozy from the Pakistanis. Yeah. She's sending it, she specializes in these incredible pies. And you can, you know, going to the Parkers Arms is a little bit of a mission. It's like a day out. Whereas obviously you can just order it and have it on a Friday night in your house and just have a fantastic time. Um, and also having Hawks more at home is just really fantastic. There's stuff that I've enjoyed that I didn't expect to, like cocktails in bottles. Who knew that that was a thing? I always thought just make it at home. <laughs> but,
0: they're not cheap though, are they? I got bought some for my birthday and it was like,
1: whoa. <laughs> yeah, they're really expensive. But I think it's funny because when you're not spending money on getting to the restaurant yeah. and buying wine in the restaurant, you've got a bit more money to spend on that kind of really great coffee or that really great cocktail. I don't know. I feel like I'm spending more on like small luxury, like chocolate coffee. I, I don't know. This is probably. I, I had to
0: justify I it to myself on the basis, part. Obviously, it was bought for me, but an old-fashioned takes about 10, 15 minutes to make. So the fact that I could just open a bottle and pour out an old-fashioned probably saved me loads of money by not (laughs) having to spend that 10, 15 minutes making it. Uh, The fact that I'd just be sitting watching Bob's Burgers on telly during that 15 minutes was...
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was great. I mean, I think if I was a bit more mobile, I would probably it's just that, I, you know, I've got loads of children, which limits the amount that I can go and get takeaway or drop into street food markets and stuff. But the street food scene has absolutely been booming. And I think, you know, if I had more mobility, I'd be picking up, you know, um, stuff from the House of Herbacea, uh, or just so just um, checking out different pizza places. You know, there's so many new small um like Tom was saying, independent businesses that have launched. Um, Ginger's Comfort Emporium, who make uh, bespoke kind of really beautiful ice cream, she just sent me a message saying that she's going to do a new thing where she's going to churn special ice cream once a week that you can only get between 2 and 4 p.m. on a Friday or something. And you have to visit the van to get this just made ice cream. You know, we, I think we're entering super niche territory, and I really like it. And if I was more mobile, I'd be enjoying it. So I think that's probably something that a lot of people have got quite into during this period as well.
0: And, and Tom, for you, what in twenty four months, what, what would you like to see maintained?
2: I think I would probably would probably echo Ruth's points. The the big thing for me has been the the, the cook at home boxes, the meals at home, and I think as is often the way, we we've almost like polarized between the kind of high culture and the low culture in terms of what we've enjoyed the most so i i've enjoyed getting the, the kind of boxes from from northcote which I, I thought was absolutely brilliant the really kind of high-end quite technical stuff i got one from moore hall which was just wonderful even with my cat handed cooking it, it just came out beautifully but as a family the flip side of that is the ones that we probably enjoyed the most have been things like um almost famous were brilliant mare uh of from over in Liverpool, kind of Middle Eastern sort of fusion stuff, really simple kind of kebabs and and, and so on. Um, and also the coffee pot. We, we got a huge stack of um, coffee pot uh, kind of pancakes, American-style fluffy pancakes with maple-cured bacon and syrup and all the rest of it, uh, just all in a box. They turn up. It's an absolute occasion. The kids had... A field day and in terms of enjoyment for the family it's probably those quite quite simple quite accessible boxes not necessarily expensive boxes that we we've got the most joy out of so I'd, I'd like to see those can continue you know I am marooned out here in the hills so having that um, immediate connection into those sorts of places whether it's coffee pot or whether it's more hall and them coming to me is just great please don't make that stop that's really important I think
1: I I definitely think there's a business opportunity for people making products that you would travel for, you know, like pollen bread or similar suppliers Um, to have that posted out. I think that kind of delivery of stuff that I'm willing to travel quite far for, but it's not a particularly high value thing, you know, so it's like about five pounds to have that delivered. That is just I just think it's something waiting to happen. And I think if if those places start doing that, that will really um, be a new revenue stream that they can sustain.
2: The the other thing that we um, loved, I've just remembered another one, actually, uh, there are certain things which you are never, ever in a million years ever going to make at home. And even if you do, they won't be good enough. And one of those is the uh, kind of Cantonese roast duck. Um, We got one in from you in Alderley Edge, which was absolutely brilliant. If, if they did a weekly duck delivery service, I, I would buy that in every week. It's such a kind of family occasion. Everyone enjoyed it. It was amazing. And it's something that you're never, ever, ever otherwise going to do in your house. So just having that shipped in was just wonderful.
0: I think it's come up on a couple of podcasts. And I know on the, on the one we're doing uh, in a couple of weeks around around gaming and films, we're talking a lot about the move from purchasing to subscription services. And I, I like yeah. the idea of subscribing to a weekly duck. That would
2: be- Oh, I, I would be into that. Sign me uh, up.
0: I, the one thing that I'm going to miss, because I can't see that they won't change back, is the mana Burger. I think the mana Burger is a Michelin star burger is, is <laughs> just absolutely astonishing. So it was um,
2: Very messy, but
0: brilliant. Very messy, but brilliant indeed. Well, burgers should be messy though, shouldn't they? Because if they're not, they've been crushed too much. Um, okay, so we, we sort of looked about- at some of the things that have developed over the last the last year. Um, let's look more widely, I mean, particularly in terms of, of Manchester City's city centre. But starting with you, Ruth, um, what are you looking forward to in terms of new openings, new stars of cuisine possibly? Um, who, who do you hear is coming into the city? Uh, and where are we as a city in terms of our restaurant offer?
1: So yeah, I think <sighs> Uh, where we are in terms of our restaurant offer is, you know, similar, a similar place to where, where we left off. Things have kind of paused, I think. So, but what we're not, what I'm not hearing about anyway is big name, big new openings. What I am hearing a lot about is smaller new openings. So, um, Yeah. So in terms of ones that I know about, so what I'm trying to say is I don't know that many massive new openings that are coming up because I just think there's a nervousness in the market to say, right, we're going to commit to Manchester in a year from now and we're going to open a 300-seater venue. That seems not to be – Tom may know better, but that's not something I'm hearing about in the pipeline. So the ones that I know that are going to open, they're all opening quite soon. So there's the Blues kit, and two of them actually are in really beautiful venues – um, so the Blues Kitchen, which is from the team behind London's XOYO nightclub, they are opening in what was Walkabout on Key Street on the 20th of May. Um, this building is absolutely beautiful. I'm really excited about this. It's got an incredible live lineup and, the, uh, the you know, the drinks and the food look really fun. Um, Habas it's is a
0: really interesting area of the city as well, because of what's happening with Spinningfields and Enterprise City and the, the numbers that are in that area are going to increase hugely over the next year, 18 months, which I guess is going to be very important to them as a, as a baseline business.
1: Definitely. I'm sure I think the factory is open, kind of opening yep. behind there. Is that correct? That yep. um, You know, there's the kind of St. John's development, which seems I'm not quite sure what's going to happen there. Um, but, you know, I'm sure lots of exciting things will come in opposite there is Schofield's bar which is already open and has just opened by two kind of bartenders who've won like bartender of the year individually they launched their cocktail book they specialize in the classics I literally can't wait to go there and just sit down and have a Negroni you know a world-class Negroni in a pub that I um, have been to many times under its former guise of grapes (laughs) And then there's one more that I really am looking forward to is Habas from Simon Shaw, which is across town um, just off King Street where Panama Hatties was. Um, it's in the basement. I think it's of the is it the refuge building or the
0: Yeah, it's the Manchester Club. Yeah. Yeah. Manchester, Liberal yeah. Reform Building. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this is his new Middle East, Middle Eastern project inspired by um, restaurants like Paloma and Barbary in London, which I've been to um just really exciting I think he's done a great job with El Gato and Canto which are his two other restaurants um both especially in Spanish and Portuguese and yes yeah, so moving into Middle Eastern but um this is just kind of food I absolutely love and a beautiful environment so I'm hoping that these two will become you know new go-to places for everyone to enjoy in the centre and what about you Tom uh
2: ag- again a, g- a good question and I, th- I think it's interesting to look at um Look at the landscape uh you know nature abhors a value and and so do uh restaurant operators it, it seems because if the spaces they they will move into to fill them and really at the minute there's a double a double dynamic within manchester the first of which is many of the groups and chains have, have closed leaving sites available existing a3 licensed premises sites and uh the second which we'll maybe touch on in in more detail shortly, is that with all the new developments going up at the end of Dean's Gate or over in Green Gate or around Ancoats or whatever, um, it's bringing huge volumes of new footfall, huge buildings, which are all going to want A3. They're going to want leisure. They're going to want restaurants and bars on their ground floors. So, all of these spaces are available. And it's fertile ground for independence, there are opportunities and deals and offers out there that ambitious Indies punching above their weight would never, ever normally be able to get their hands on. They're able to walk into fully fitted units in some cases. Normally, the biggest cost will be really tedious stuff like extraction uh, or getting three phase power into a unit. And all of this is in place. They could literally, if they wanted to, walk in and give it a lick of paint and start trading. So. There is a wave, there is an enormous wave of of new operators who are coming in to fill those spaces. Um, there's hardly... When I hear about a site being available, it's normally it's normally already gone, and there's normally been a battle over who gets in there. The idea that we've reached capacity is just not true. You know, a site won't stay empty for, for more than a couple of weeks at the minute, which is really, really exciting. The ones that I'm particularly interested in, Habas definitely is one I adore, uh, Middle Eastern cooking, Simon's a fantastic chef. It's a beautiful spot. It's big. I think. I think it might be over two hundred covers. It's a fair old beast. But I think that's going to have a real impact. That's going to be a real kind of centre of gravity on the on the Mancunian dining scene over the next year or two. Um, but aside from that, I'm I'm really excited by Hello Oriental which is the huge all-singing, all-dancing food market, food hall, Chinese food hall that is going in in Circle Square down near Oxford Road. It's this enormous kind of subterranean uh, kind of Asian food paradise. I think there's elements of Japanese and Korean in there as well. Uh, bakeries, dumplings, all of those sorts of things. I mean, it just, it just sounds believable. Take me there now. It sounds great. Um, I'm also quite excited to see uh, society come on stream as as well, which is a, another of these kind of mini food hall uh, concepts with a number of operators in there. It's taking over a site, which for some reason has been a, a cursed site for so long, just on the water down by the Bridgewater Hall. I actually think it's an incredible site. You're tucked away. You're in the heart of the city, but it feels quiet. You've got the water there and the view of the Bridgewater. I I don't know why anyone hasn't taken it before now, but it is now being snapped up. They've got some really, really good um, people that they're working with. They're they're working, I think it's Vocation Brewery that they're working with to do all the, the drinks. And they've got some really good guys. The guys behind Elmer Cart are doing a pizza concept. I think Chat Cart might be in there as well, from out in Marple, um, which should be really, really interesting. So I'm looking forward to that coming on stream. And the the other thing that I would flag up, which is um, massive, although it's a one off happening rather than a new venue per se, Escape to Freight Island are doing their Cantina Food Weekend. And the lineup is, is absolutely amazing. You've got people like Simon Martin from Manor of the uh, the Eponymous Burger you mentioned before. He's doing a collaboration with Paul Leonard from the Forest Side. I think one of the most exciting places up in the Lake District uh, at the minute with a Michelin star, I think. Um, there's all sorts of other guys getting involved. Mary Ellen McTague is involved. Sam Buckley from Where the Light Gets In is involved. Uh, Pippi Eats is doing a collaboration with me and Foe. And they've got some great guys up from uh, from London as well, some really big names, including three sheets, Top QV, all on the drink side. It's just it's it's a fantastic I think it's going to be a bit of a celebration of this city getting back on its feet and the the food and drink scene in the city getting back onto its onto its feet. There's a sense of kind of joy and energy around it, and I think it's going to feel like a real staging point in the recovery of Manchester's hospitality scene.
0: And when is that, Tom? for those who don't know? Uh,
2: that is, uh, I'm just checking, I think it's the end of May the 28th, possibly to the 30th. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I, think I think it's that's that weekend. bank holiday
0: weekend. I think it's the Whitson bank holiday weekend indeed. There
2: you go. So that that is going to be um, a blast. I'm not sure whether up to uh, with bookings, but if I can anyway beg, borrow or steal my way in there, then I am going to do so. I will be a permanent fixture in there that weekend.
0: I think it's really interesting with Escape to Freight Island because that... that opened effectively during lockdown and so has always been operating under COVID and social distancing. And, and so they've got all of that stuff absolutely down pat. So as that's back open and running, there are sort of no fears about how it operates uh, in terms yeah. of all the health stuff that has to be done. Um, and actually, I think an awful lot of people are looking to them for how they've solved a lot of the issues that, that people yeah. are facing.
2: As you, as you say, partly by um, sheer brilliance, I'm sure, and also a, a kind of slice of luck. They they almost opened. Covid ready. Their, their model was perfectly suited. The fact that you order at your table and the food is brought to you, which cuts down the kind of the, the, the mingling and the, uh, people walking past each other, the fact that it's largely outdoors. It, it couldn't be better. And they, they won a major, uh, industry award at the Peach, um, CGA 2020 awards, which was well deserved for kind of launch of the, of the year. It's, it's a really, really exciting place. And of course they're opening. I think it's called the ticket hall, which is yeah. the huge inside area is going to open when we can all go back uh, inside into restaurants, which is going to bring a load more operators into into play. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real boon for the city. I think it's one of those places you appreciate it if you live here, but it's also something that is a visitor destination. It will bring people into the city to go to Freight Island.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of those things that we, we again, on this is the third or fourth time the three of us have had a, had a podcast and we keep talking about, is the city full? But something like Freight Island is, is demonstrating that, hopefully, that we're just... Making the pie bigger, and we're bringing in more and more people all of the t- all the time, um, and and actually it doesn't seem to be taking it as far as we can tell away from the, the venues that are already around. Um, yeah, Ruth, as as sort of punters, and as we get out and about over the next few weeks, and obviously hopefully from May seventeenth, and then and then from June as, as the social distancing goes. What do you think is going to be maintained from the lessons that have been learned over the COVID period? I mean, do you think some of the restaurants are still going to be looking at, um, you know, more spacing out tables and, and still looking at how their how their staff um, operate to keep that not necessarily the reality of, of people's health, but but certainly I, there's still fears about going back and going out.
1: Yeah, I mean, the things that I thought would become the kind of permanent changes, you know, to as in how how things have moved on. I think a question, there's a big debate at the moment is about bookings, you know, and whether or not bookings will become mandatory. Um, I was doing some research this morning for another radio show about this and I had two pretty different opinions on it. One is that bookings should be mandatory and that should become the entire norm, whether you're going for drinks or whatever to kind of offer operators, you know, a bit like going to the theatre. So you pay for your space and that pays for the staff and the team, you know what I mean? So it's a kind of fair trade, the other the other option is I spoke to um, uh, the f- the founder and owner of Common Bar, and he was like, "Well, you know, what? we don't have any reservations, and we think that the kind of model from ten years ago, which was no reservations, you kind of queue up and you just take what's available, is a more sustainable model going forward." So that question. Remains slightly open I'm sure that Tom's got something to say about that but the thing the other and I guess thing, it
0: depends on the de- demographics of your audience as much as anything else doesn't it
1: it kind of depends where you are and what the value of what you're selling is as well so you know there's many reasons why bookings or not bookings might be a good idea um, but I think take moving on from this we've seen a huge um, amount of popularity in streets being closed off you know if you look around the area around the northern quarter and so on I think that's here to stay. I'm really hoping that that's going to be a permanent change to the city, that we see more pedestrianisation, more sitting outside. Um, I think that many places are going to keep doing at home. You're going to see a continuation in Zoom tastings and cookery, Take you know, home cooking, uh, sorry, online cooking classes. So we've got like Salu and Tampopo are kind of committed to, to continuing those. Um and also places that have a cult following, like Famous Burgers um, and Shoryu Ramen, and so on, offering national delivery. I think those will, when possible, stay because they are useful additional streams of revenue. Um, but yeah, so I think I think more. I think we're going to see more expanded restaurants, restaurants taking up more space, and hopefully cars taking up less space, and that's in all senses. Do you know what I mean?
0: Tom, Tom on the same one.
2: Yeah, I think um, the deposit thing is is a long running and emotive and divisive issue in the industry. Uh, if you put two restaurant uh, restaurateurs in a room, uh, they will argue about it. But I, I think actually the point you you made was quite good, Vaughan. Um, that really it's not it's not about taking book it's not about taking deposits per se or taking bookings per se. If you are a walk in restaurant carry on being a walk-in restaurant. It's not about everyone having to book. Should we go to a totally booking model? If you're a casual walk-in place, then just carry on doing that. I think it's about opportunity cost. If you are taking bookings, then there is a cost to that person no showing, a a pretty dramatic and damaging cost. So I think there is a lot of um, logic in saying that if you are going to take bookings, then as an industry, if we could all move together in lockstep, it would be really helpful for there to be some sort of kind of minimum deposit level, just getting people into the habit that if you book a restaurant, you're, you're getting a privilege. You're getting a guaranteed table by making that booking that does have to be a bit of a quid pro quo, you know, just pay a, pay a deposit. But that shouldn't take away from the sorts of places that exist on casual, Walk-ins, you know, it shouldn't impinge on them at all. They've got a casual walk-in model. They don't need any of that infrastructure. They've got a business that works okay. So I still think we can have two models. But yeah, I think certainly anywhere which is um, particularly like kind of country pubs, destination restaurants, smaller restaurants, restaurants with a kind of bigger... Bigger ticket price. I I think they've got to look at, um, they've got to look at deposits because we, we all hope that COVID might make everyone kinder and more considerate, but I'm seeing and hearing too many stories about, about no shows already. Uh, you know, sadly, it doesn't seem to have reduced as, as much as we, we all would have liked. So I, yeah, there's still, there's still a job to be done there. And I, I think there's, um, there was a, an init, an initiative that came out of um out of manchester that was um was done by abby abby Dunn and a colleague of hers as well to actually create a kind of no more no shows campaign that started in manchester that went right around the industry and right around the country and that was good you know it's good to highlight people and make them understand the the implications of their actions or their inaction through not turning up and, and educating the consumer but definitely definitely still um still a long way to go um i, I the thing i've enjoyed through uh the changes around um the various forms of lockdown is being able to order drinks from your table it's quite a joy actually um you know maybe i'm get a lazy old man maybe my knees creak when i have to get up now but actually being able to sit, sit there for an evening with your, your friend or your friends or whatever and order drinks from your table instead of having to constantly go to the bar i think it's quite a lovely thing i'd be quite happy to see that um that sustain and then i think the, the biggest um the biggest possible bonus to come out of this, or the biggest upside, is is the one that Ruth just addressed, which is the idea of um outdoor seating and attitudes to outdoor seating and how the, the council kind of works with and, and supports operators. And Vaughan, I know you kind of you sit literally at the, the axis of, of many of these conversations with your with your day job. And I, I know it's not easy and there's lots of kind of competing factors and all the rest of it, but I, I think if the council can work with operators and wherever possible can facilitate outdoor space. I, I just think that's a really good thing. It's good for the operators. It's it's good for the punters. It just makes the, the city feel nice. You know, there's something about well-run, well-organised out outside dining, lovely little squares, pedestrianized streets, particularly around the Northern Quarter. It just feels good as a visitor experience. And, you know, as we've said before in previous podcasts, the visitor economy, tourism is, is so, so important for driving the hospitality scene in Manchester. And uh, yeah, I think that will that will matter to them. And regardless of the rain, everyone goes, yeah, but it's rainy in Manchester. Yeah, but the fact is we buy more convertible cars in the UK than any other country in Europe, including Italy or Spain or anywhere else, because that's just the way we're wired up and we're quite hardy. I think as long as it's not driving horizontal sleet, then if you have outside seating, people will sit in it and they will eat and drink.
0: Yeah, I think I think the experience of Stevenson Square, particularly over the last couple of weeks, has been interesting in that how much cold people are willing to put up with. Um I also when think they've been deprived I... of their bars, their bars yeah. for one. Um, I mean, in it's interesting what, what you're talking about with with how businesses operate, because we've already seen, you know, businesses that don't do bookings try and do bookings. Um, and, and they've been doing that for the last couple of weeks. And and it's been okay with some of them, but some of them haven't realized that, okay, well, then you're still going to get. A queue of wait, waiting or are you still going to get people that are wanting to turn up and how you manage those issues so certainly one of the things that we saw very very quickly is um, a very fast uh, and major increase in uh, investment in security um, not to deal with chucking people out but to manage queues and and to, to deal with people not wearing masks and all of those sort of things and it will be interesting depending on the regulations as things open on, on in may uh, and what regulations are in place in june Again, how restaurants manage a lot of those things, because they're going to be different to the problems that they've had in the past. Um, we finish up, but I think one final thing. I know, Tom, you've been out and doing lunches pretty well since lunches have been back available. A one-man
2: um, man economic miracle. You're
0: you are you're a one-man ec- economic miracle, indeed. Um, but for each of you, start starting with Ruth. Um, sort of post-May and post-June and hoping that social distancing goes, hoping that we're all healthy and everything can do, what are the one or two things that you're looking forward to experiencing, where where you're looking at going, what you're looking at doing, as we get back to, quote, normal, Ruth?
1: As, I think, well, I, as the mother of twins and a baby, I spend a lot of time in museums. And one of the things I'm really looking forward to is the reopening, well, the reopening of all the museums. And I love nothing more than a museum cafe. So we've got Open Kitchen coming to uh, the People's People's History Museum. Uh, And they're a kind of, they're the the real junk food group and their food is all sustainable and locally sourced and captured from the food chain. Um, I literally can't wait for that. We've also got the Jewish Museum, which is opening with a massive kosher cafe and all sorts of different stuff there um Manchester Museum is having massive changes and yeah I, I'm, I'm very excited about the museum scene <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> Yeah, and, and my final one is I've booked I've also booked a night at Moor Hall which I've um I've never paid to go there before but due to the lockdown I've kind of saved some money and this is going to be my most luxury ever experience so I can't wait for that
2: brilliant and Tom for you what are you most looking forward to Oh, I'm, I'm just looking forward to, uh, sitting in restaurants under a roof with, uh, four walls around me. To be honest, it's a, it's a simple pleasure, but it's, uh, um, one I've been denied a long time and I can't wait to get back to it. So I think probably. Probably the place I'm I'm going to go first is is Hawksmoor. Um, it's a it's a long-term favorite of mine for all sorts of different reasons and the the staff the team there front of house the, they've been there so long they they're almost like friends and I miss them dearly. So I'm very much looking forward to a nice lost afternoon uh, back in Hawksmoor. Also there's a there's a couple of indies which um which I adore neither of which although I think they they are open at the minute with a, with a small element of outside seating. It's not what they're, not what they're built for. And once they get their doors open properly again, I'm going to go back to Erst in Ancoats and also the, the Sparrows in uh, Red Bank, just behind, um, Victoria, which are just two of my favorite restaurants in the, in the city. And I would urge everyone to seek them out, even though they're a little bit off the beaten track. And I want to go back to Cafe Mahabra on back Piccadilly and I want to have, um, rice and three of an afternoon uh in a tiny tiny little cramped restaurant with the uh with the tandoor blasting like a furnace and i want to drink a can of mango rubicon and when i reach that point i will know that the world is spinning back on its axis and we're okay
0: excellent thank you tom thank you ruth i'm sure we will be doing another of these
2: bringing the old team back together mm-hmm. in probably six months time thank you both thank you